Merry Christmas. Wow, there's more of you than I thought were going to be here. Person after person is like, I, I'm not coming on Christmas. Okay, okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm sure there's countless people online joining us right now. It's got gotta be. <coughs> uh, it's so good to have all of you here uh, for Christmas. I, uh, we want. All right. Well, <clears throat> last week I left many of you in suspense, and I I told you that uh, uh, the message of my of that I was sharing with you last week was that the incarnation, which we're celebrating today, incarnation Christmas, it's when Jesus became one of us, became a human just like us with flesh and blood, lived in real history, went through everything we went through, that the incarnation is good news because it guarantees that God is actually with us. And that is, that is one of the most fabulous things you can ever experience is to know that God is with you. When you're going through trials and difficulties, even better than having the trials and difficulties just disappear is to have the experience of knowing that God is with you in those trials. And, and that's where we get uh, the name Emmanuel. The, the name Emmanuel means God is with us. And so I often, when I'm going through trials, I often just repeat this name of God, uh, Emmanuel, because it reminds me God is with me in those trials. And I asked at the end of the message, you know, what could be better news than God showing his love for us by being with us? What could be better than God being with us and showing his love in that way? Uh, there's this uh, quote from Psalm 31 uh, that I talked about last week. It says, you, made, you make your loving kindness marvelous to me in a besieged city. Uh, we besieged uh, it, this, this image from the ancient world when a city was besieged by a, by a foreign enemy. It's a, it's a terrifying, horrifying image uh, because in a siege, uh, pretty much nothing good ever happens and, and the people in it are, are usually doomed. Uh, and, and so uh, when God shows up in the middle of the siege and makes his loving kindness marvelous to us, uh, you know, very few things we can imagine are better than that. So I, I ended last week by saying, I actually think there is something better than God showing his love for us by being with us. I think there actually is something even better than that. Uh, a year and a half ago, you guys let me go on this wonderful trip, uh, a, a wonderful pilgrimage for my sabbatical, and the highlight of that pilgrimage, that sabbatical, was taking a, a trip with my oldest son, Joe, down the Colorado River, down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And uh, it was amazing. How many people have been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, about a little over half of you. That's good. Uh, if, if you haven't been, know that pictures absolutely do not do it justice. There is, there is no way that you can capture in a picture or no way to capture in a film the grandeur, the majesty, the glory of the Grand Canyon. And you know, when I signed up for that trip to go to the Grand Canyon, I didn't go to build up my self-esteem. I didn't go to feel special. And I didn't even go to feel loved. 
actually. But even though that's not why I went there, and I don't think most people go to the Grand Canyon to build up their self-esteem, it was still the most exhilarating joy I've experienced here on Earth through nature. Most exhilarating joy, even though it wasn't about me at all. Now, I know there's a few of you who are diehard fans of one team or another, so you're going to understand what I'm, what I'm talking about when I say this. Last week's uh, you know, Vikings victory they come from way, way from behind, and then they end up winning. Uh, you know, on that day, you're filled with joy and exhilaration, but nothing's actually changed in your life. You guys know what I'm talking about? You're, you, uh, nothing has improved. Uh, the sink still doesn't work. The toilet still doesn't work. Things are still falling apart. Your brother is still mad at you, et cetera, et cetera. But your team has won, and that, has changed, that changes everything. A few of you should be nodding, because you know exactly what I'm talking about, all right? Uh, or, or maybe there's a cause, a political cause, that you've been fighting for, uh, and, and finally you see some progress. Someone you really hoped would get elected would get elected, or some, some law gets passed, or some city ordinance happens, and, and you've been a part of that, and, and, and again, nothing has changed in your personal life, but you are just thrilled. You're on top of the world because that thing that you were hoping for actually happened. Or I, I was just uh, listening uh, just uh, a few days ago to uh, reminder what happened on VE Day, Victory in Europe, the, the day that finally the Nazi regime uh, collapsed. And uh, I, I learned that spontaneous dancing broke out in the streets uh, all over the country, all over the world, actually. Now, it would be months and months, and for some people around the world, it would be years before their life became anything close to normal after that day. But the joy of knowing that the Nazis had finally been defeated uh, changed everything. Is this, is this making sense, I'm, these analogies I'm using? That, that's kind of what happened to me when I went to the Colorado River and experienced the Grand Canyon. You are surrounded for days, day after day, with these towering walls that climb up 5,000 feet, and, and, and you realize you're, you're never more aware that it isn't about you at all. It isn't about your self-esteem at all. And so maybe it's actually better, maybe it's actually more joyful and more exhilarating to be transported out of yourself than it is to feel like you're the recipient, the object of love. Could that be possible? I don't know. Let's, let's, let's think about that. I, uh, so back to this question. What is better than experiencing God's love for you? What's better than that? Uh, I, 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 there's a clue that I found to this in the story of Lazarus rising from the dead. Now, I'm not going to read the whole story of Lazarus rising from the dead, but I want to point something out at the beginning of it. Uh, and that is this. Uh, let's let's uh, read with me. Um, in, uh, this is John chapter 11. I'm just going to read the first few verses of the, of, the, of the chapter here, starting in verse 4. But when Jesus heard this, he heard the news that Lazarus was sick, 
he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, this first part of the story, the the end of the story is so amazing and miraculous, we often kind of sort of just breeze through this first part of the story uh, and don't pick these things up. But ever since I've noticed this, I just always thought this was so interesting, so curious. It, It says Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He, he loved them. Okay, that, that's, that's what we want to hear. That's right. Jesus loves me. Here it is, just right there in the Bible. Very clear. Jesus loved them. We can transfer that to ourselves. Jesus loves me. That's good. That's good news. But then he stayed two days longer where he was. And most of us in this room know the end of that story. By staying two days longer course, what happened? That gave Lazarus exactly enough time to die, be buried for four days before Jesus showed up. And we might ask this question, and it would be very natural for any of us to ask this question. If Jesus actually loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, like he said he did, like the scripture says he does, he would have dropped everything and rushed to their home in Bethany and healed Lazarus quickly before he died. Right? And in fact, that's what Mary and Martha directly asked him when he does show up later. If you had been here, Jesus, if you had been here, and isn't that how we often feel about our own lives? If Jesus, if you'd been here this disaster wouldn't have happened. That disaster wouldn't have happened. You know, I, I, yeah, it's great that you're going to show up in a besieged city and all that, but, uh, you know, it really would have been nice if you'd gotten rid of those armies in the first place. So what's going on there? Well, the little clue I found is in verse 4. There seems to be a purpose greater than just Martha and Mary and Lazarus feeling loved. Now, they did feel loved, eventually, (laughs) especially after Lazarus rose from the dead. They did feel loved, but Jesus seems to be working with something bigger than just their immediate sense of, I'm feeling loved. Does that make sense? Jesus drops a few more clues in his high priestly prayer, just a few chapters later, chapter 17, Jesus is praying to God the Father on behalf of his disciples and all the people who would believe in the disciples' messages uh, later after them. And Jesus says this. I just, I just find this so curious. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you ha- have given me, be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you've given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is really interesting. Jesus could have prayed a lot of things 
in his, what's called his high priestly prayer, this, this most famous of his prayers. He could have prayed a lot of things, including, God, let them feel loved. God, make sure before I depart, or make sure when I depart, make sure that above all things, they feel my love for them. He could have prayed that. We don't actually find that in John 17. Jesus instead prays that they would see his glory. And he prays that they would not only see his glory, that they would see the Father's love, not just for them. In fact, they aren't even, it's not even father's love for them he prays that they would see the father's love for him this is very curious just a couple chapters before this when jesus is facing the cross he knows the cross is coming he knows it's about to happen and he tells us this purpose for the cross lots of Places in Scripture talk about the reason why Jesus died. And Jesus reveals one of those reasons in John 14, where he says this, So that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father commanded me. One of the reasons Jesus died on the cross was so that you and I and the rest of the world wouldn't only just learn how much God loves me and how much God loves you. He wanted them to know, he wants all of us to know how much he loves the Father. That is very curious. And, and he says it right here, he wants the world to know this. It's not some obscure secret hidden somewhere that you have to find somewhere in the the, the deepest parts of Christianity. He wants the world to know this, how much he loves the Father. I know some of you are going to stop me right there and say, Pastor Andrew, are you saying, are you saying God doesn't love me? I'm definitely not saying that. There's many parts of the Bible that talks about how much God loves us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, if you're, if you're wrestling or worried, does God love me? Go and memorize Ephesians 5, chapter 2, or Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Makes very clear one of the reasons Jesus died for us was out of love for us. So let me just settle that. I'm not, I'm not uh, calling that into question. I'm just wondering if there's something bigger, something more than how much Jesus loves me. And wouldn't it be Amazing if on Christmas Day we open the, the, the package of his love, not just about how much he loves me, but what if, like with the uh, Grand Canyon, what if we are transported into an even higher purpose, an even higher, greater thing than how much God loves me? What if God were to give us that gift? Well, <clears throat> what I want to delve into to help us understand this, is this whole notion. It's been around uh, from the very beginning of Christianity, but that's, that's the idea of the Trinity. I'm, just to put your fears at ease, I'm not, this isn't going to be a big sermon on a very complicated and hard subject, a very mysterious subject. 
I, I won't be expounding on the nature of the Trinity today, but I, I do want to give us a little sneak peek into maybe what might be happening, according to Scripture, inside the Trinity. I mean, have you ever thought about that before? What's happening inside the Trinity? And if you're not familiar with that term, the Trinity, it's the description of God being one. There's one God. He's one being, but he's three persons. And those persons are God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. All three of those are co-equal members, persons inside the Trinity. I promised you already, I'm not going to have an exposition on, on the nature of the Trinity here, <clears throat> but let's take a look at just what Scripture says about what's happening inside of the Trinity. And believe it or not, even though the, the Scripture doesn't use the word Trinity, <clears throat> there's a whole lot in there about what's happening inside of the Trinity. So, first of all, what, how does the Father, God the Father, feel what does he think about, and what, how does he act towards God the Son? Well, we find out that the Father is giving the Son, Jesus, many, many gifts. For example, Matthew 3, verse 17 talks about how God the Father gives God the Son his love and approval. Imagine that for a moment. An infinite being... God the Father, giving another infinite being, God the Son, his love and approval. What a, what a wave, what a tidal wave, what a tsunami of love and approval that must be. Scripture also talks about in many places how God the Father gives God the Son a mission. He gives him a mission, a purpose, something to do. Scripture talks about how God the Father gives God the Son a kingdom. God the Father wants to raise up his Son and place him on a throne with a scepter and a crown with all authority over all of creation for all of eternity. God the Father loves to give God the Son all authority. And Jesus says in, John, in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a gift from God the Father. God the Father gives God the Son the highest place and the name above all names. Places him center stage over all things, over the entire universe, anything that could be named, anything that could be explored, he places his son Jesus above all of that. John chapter 5 describes how God the Father gives the son all judgment. He entrusts to his son the wisdom and authority to make all the judgments about everything and everyone that has ever existed in life. And the reason, in the very next verse, the reason the Father does that is because the Father wants to give the Son as much honor as the Father receives. So the Father wants the Son to receive as much honor as the Father. 
Find out in John 10, God the Father is giving God the Son his very own flock. And yes, you and I are that flock. We are part of the Father's gift to the Son. And throughout Scripture, especially in the book of Revelation, God the Father wants to give God the Son a bride. A beautiful bride. A bride without spot or wrinkle. A bride who can accurately reflect back all of the beauty, all of the glory, all of the goodness that's in him. A bride that can match the groom, the son of God. And yes, that bride is us. We are part of the gift that the Father is giving the Son. These gifts don't just go one way from the Father to the Son. When we peer into the Trinity, we find out that God the Son gives the Father many gifts. We already read in John 14, verse 31, just a little bit ago, that God the Son gives God the Father his love. God the Son gives God the Father a kingdom. Now, you might say, I thought that God the Father gave God the Son a kingdom. Well, actually, if you read the rest of that passage in First Chronicles 15, you find out that the Son is going to give that kingdom right back to the Father. So there's this exchanging of kingdoms back and forth between them. God the Son gives God the Father his delighted obedience. Not just, not just, I'll do what you say, yeah, sure, whatever. He gives him what Hebrews calls delighted obedience. The Son likes, enjoys obeying the Father. Imagine that. Have you ever had to supervise anybody at work? If you were given delighted obedience. I know, you're laughing. It's like, ah, is that even real? Is that even possible? <clears throat> God the Son gives God the Father his faithfulness. God the Son gives God the Father whatever pleases him. That is, that is the Son's attitude towards anything and everything the Father says. And anything and everything the Father wants. That's what the Son gives the Father. The God the Son gives God the Father honor and glory. But Jesus, God the Son, doesn't just stop there. Jesus actually gives himself to the Father. He gives himself to the Father to be the Father's word. The Father speaks everything into existence, Scripture is clear. Everything, is everything in existence is upheld and held together by his word. And God the Son volunteers to say, I'll be the word by which you create everything, and I will be the word by which you hold everything together. Jesus gives himself to the Father by agreeing to be the Father's image. God the Father is invisible but he makes himself, he gives himself an image. He makes himself clear. He explains himself. He manifests himself to the world by the son volunteering and saying, I'll be your image. I will, I will broadcast you 
to the world, to the universe. So the world actually finally knows who you really are. I'll do that, Father. I will be your image. And so we know that anytime we look at Jesus, we're looking at the Father. Anytime we see what Jesus is doing, we know what the Father's doing. Anytime we hear what Jesus says, we know what the Father is saying. Because Jesus has agreed to be the image of the invisible God. Jesus gives himself to the Father by being incarnated, by becoming one of us, taking on human flesh and blood and becoming like us. What humility that required for God to give up his glory, his status, his stature, his power to become limited like us. But Jesus volunteered and said, I'll do it. I'll do it, Father. God the Son gave himself to God the Father by becoming the ransom and the atonement for this bride. The Father wanted to give his Son this bride that could match him, but that bride needed to be purified, cleansed, redeemed back from her slavery, rescued from her destiny in hell. He, she needed to be saved from Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, talks about this bride being a whore, being a prostitute. She needed to be rescued from that. And Jesus said, I'll pay the price. I will absorb the price into my own body. Take it into myself. Take the poison that she has been eating that's been killing her. I will take the poison into myself and be destroyed by it. So, Father, you can have the pleasure of giving me the gift of a purified bride. You might be asking now, what, what about the Spirit? What is the Spirit doing? Well, it would take many sermons to even scratch the surface of what the Spirit is doing inside the Trinity, but we get, we get a few little hints from just a few scriptures here. The Spirit, Jesus says that the Spirit won't speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So the Spirit, like the Son, is listening very carefully to whatever the Father says, and then the Spirit relays that to us about what the Father is saying. So, so, so like the Son, the Spirit is, is uh, saying only what he hears the Father saying. And then Jesus makes it even more clear in the verse right after that. He says, the Spirit is going to glorify me and he will take of mine and disclose it to you. So it's like the Holy Spirit takes a spotlight and he shines it right on Jesus. You know, if, if you ever go to the theater, it's difficult to pay attention to what's happening up on stage because there's so much commotion going on all around until a spotlight comes and, uh, and, it, and it shines directly on where your, your focus is supposed to be Everything else fades away, and you just see where the spotlight is pointing. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does for Jesus. When you are feeling like you're drowning in your sorrows and your difficulties, that's the Holy Spirit takes a spotlight, points it right at Jesus, and then you see the one who walks on water and reaches down to grab you when you say, Save me, Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Or, or you're... you're 
you're feeling crushed by the darkness, the Holy Spirit will turn on the light and he will focus that spotlight right on Jesus and you realize, oh, Jesus is the light of the world. He has overcome the world. Or when you feel like everything has died and, 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 and you've lost everything and, and you, can't, uh, you can't focus on anything because you feel so abandoned and lonely from the darkness in your life. That's when the Holy Spirit comes in and he turns on that spotlight, shines it right on Jesus, and you realize, oh, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so what we have inside the Trinity with just these few verses, and I, I could preach many, many sermons about this, and there are many sermons out there about this, and there's many, many books about this, but even without using the word Trinity, we can peer inside the Trinity and discover these few things. The Father lives to glorify the Son. The Son lives to glorify the Father. And the Spirit glorifies the Son so that the Son can glorify the Father. The... Uh, <laughs> The uh, old-time old theologians actually came up with a term for this. They, they, it was so mind-blowing that they, they, most of what they early, early years wrote about the Trinity, in fact, what most theologians throughout the last 2,000 years have written about the Trinity is merely, uh, <laughs> it's there. <laughs> That's about all they can say. But they came up with a term to describe this dance inside of the Trinity, and, and uh, they just call it the circle dance. In ancient Greek, it's the perichoresis, the circle dance of love inside the Trinity. And, uh, and, and so um, th th this, this little window that we have inside the Trinity, I think, well, well let, me, let, me, let, me, let me pause and, and raise an objection that I know some of you are probably thinking right now. Pastor Andrew, what about me? What about me? Where am I in this configuration? This feels like this isn't even about me. What about me? What about how much God loves me? I want to leave church today on Christmas Day of all days with the message in my heart, God loves me. And if you don't give that to me, Pastor Andrew, then shame on you. Maybe, maybe God wants to give you a higher gift this morning a better gift than even, not that there's anything wrong or lacking with the gift of how much God loves you and how much God loves me. Maybe there's a higher gift he's calling you into, inviting, maybe there's a holy of holies he's inviting you and me into that transports you out of yourself. So you're, you, you kind of even lose yourself for a little bit. And you can be drawn into the circle dance that's inside the Trinity. In fact, I think that is what Jesus wants for us. At the end of his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus prays this. He said, Father, I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order, so here's the purpose of why he is making the Father known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. Jesus and God the Father 
and God the Holy Spirit want even more than for you to know how much you are loved, which is an indescribably great gift, but even higher, higher and better than that is he wants the love that God the Father has for God the Son, the love that motivates the Father to give his Son a kingdom, a bride, a name above every other name, that same love that infinity of love, he wants that love for the Son to be inside of you and me. So that the love of God, and so when I say the love of God, and I'm not just talking about God's love for me, the love that's inside the Trinity to be inside you and me, that is a better gift. And God is inviting you and me to that. So the question I have again is, What's better than God's love for us? And I think what's even better is, that, is to be caught up in the circle dance of the Trinity's love. The infinite Father loving his infinite Son with infinite love, and then the infinite Son loving the infinite Father with his infinite love and the Spirit joyously carrying the love of God the Son to the God the Father and God the Father to God the Son back and forth and back and forth for all eternity. Infinite love, loving infinite love forever and ever. This is why you feel better when your sports team wins a victory. That's even better for you than just the, the, the ways you feel like you're an object of love. This is why the Grand Canyon was so joyous and so exhilarating, not because my self-esteem was built up, not because I left the Grand Canyon saying, I'm really something special, aren't I? It's because I was transported out of myself, and I got to see something bigger, and I even lost myself in the wonder and awe of something so much bigger. You might be asking, how, how, how can I apply this to my life? You know what? <laughs> I can't even say. I have been trying to study this love inside the Trinity for several years now. And it, to be honest, the more I study it, the more tongue-tied and dumbstruck I become. I realize how inadequate my words really are. It's going to take the Holy Spirit working inside of you to take that spotlight for you to see the glory of Jesus so you can see Jesus pointing to God the Father and to be sucked into and drawn into and caught up into that circle dance inside the Trinity. I can't do that for you. My words definitely cannot do that for you. The worship team could come on up. You know, this is what I, I tell people who are unconvinced that they should go visit the Grand Canyon. You know, I, 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 can, I can tell them, you know what, you guys? Pictures don't do it justice. Uh, videos don't, don't do it justice. My words definitely don't do the Grand Canyon justice. All I can say when I'm talking to somebody who's unconvinced that they should go visit the Grand Canyon is all I can say is, you know what? You're just going to have to go see for yourself. You're just going to have to go see for yourself. So... This morning, 
the invitation on Christmas Day is to come and see for yourself. Amen. To you are all things, you deserve the glory. Take us deeper, you're worthy of it all.